small break there's been a lot of news with the convention and with season seven coming up closer and we wanted to come back soon and strong because this pair of chapters for me this was something to behold i know that we talked just before recording i don't want to take anything off the top of the podcast but i just think let's just let's go right into this i mean what we were talking about before in the 30 seconds that typically always happens before we record which is what did you think wait stop talking we have to record Uh (laughs) um i feel a little nervous about recording this episode because I know that The Princess and the Tower is a pretty big chapter within fandom and I think that there's a lot of questions about this chapter and people talk about it all the time and there's millions of theories and threads and whatever about it and so I want to make sure that we do it justice and I want to make sure that we do it justice and I feel like I'm of the opinion I think we're of differing opinions on how we feel about this chapter. I feel different now that I've read them together. This was the first time that I've seen them together. I mean, we put them together like this in our reading order. And I think this might be my favorite instance of it just as a mechanic for this reading order. Mm -hmm. But I also, when I finished reading The Princess and the Tower and he says, Doran says, with fire and blood, I was like, ooh. I mean, that line is good. I can't, I can't take away from that. That years long you know between books years long wait before finally reaching to find out what the hell quentin is up to would have been so satisfying it's the last and chapter in a feast for crows before you have to wait right and i mean i read everything as dance with dragons is coming out and so i did not have to sit and wait through that do you remember if you were interested in seeing how that played out with quentin (laughs) (laughs) it is so it is so difficult for me and i try really hard to kind of put myself back into the shoes of when i was reading for the first time kind of take away all that bias but it's so difficult for me to think about quentin and it's so difficult for me to think about dorn without feeling so incredibly biased and the quentin chapter is pretty short and we'll get to it um but we get this reveal about what um, Duran has essentially been doing this whole time and we get this reveal that he hasn't been sitting by and kind of watching things happen. He's been actively plotting and scheming and kind of doing everything that Ariane would have wanted him to do, just not in the way that she would have wanted him to do. To, to think about that uh, in terms of, of Quentin's storyline and kind of where things could go and where things should go. I mean, I just have this incredible bias about what happens with Quentin um, at the end of his storyline that makes it difficult for me to look at it in any sort of useful way. Does that make sense? What is your bias? I just, I don't understand what the point is. Right. And I feel like that that might be the point itself. You know, well, Hey, if, if you don't get it, then maybe that's why you should be paying attention. But I just feel like if things had turned out differently for Quentin's storyline, then there may have been more of a point to all of this. I felt like I understood Dorn in its place as a tool that grew the lands, the history, the lore of the story overall. And it, I felt like it came at a time when, when Dorn kind of needed to get that nod after all the traveling through Westeros in the first four books, mm-hmm. first three books. 
But you're right. The the Quentin ending, it does rub a lot of people the wrong way. Why did we get all this time with him if it didn't necessarily lead to anything? And I think the same could be said for Ariane. I think less so for Ariane because of how it leads into this reveal with Doran. It feels a lot more typical George R. R. Martin, but we're not used to seeing such a long ride with a character end in such a fashion without being more, I guess, central, like Catelyn mm-hmm. and Rob for example. Well, exactly. Exactly. And, and I feel, it's like I always say, I always feel nervous about this, but I just, I feel like the whole Dorn storyline is in and of itself. And this chapter is great. And I mean, I think that we get a lot of interesting insight in a very short amount of time into these characters and this family and this place. And aside from everything else, I feel like it's a, I don't want to take away from that. And I understand, you know, that Dorian's trying to be a real player here and you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) it just it seems so much less important than anything else that's going on yeah it's and it's funny to think about Dorian in that way because George makes such a point to tell us how much I feel like we're going back and forth between these two chapters I think it's just gonna happen today but George tells us so much how like Dorian Quentin is in so many mm-hmm. ways, not only the mm-hmm. way he, he approaches people, but the way he approaches problems. And I think it's, it's possible that he is like him in many ways. The way that, that he aggrandizes his station, he, he feels like Dorne will be enough to tempt the Dragon Queen. And that at the end of his road, even though he does have many moments and we'll get to it of self doubt, um, he does ultimately, I think, as far as the grandeur is concerned, believe in what he's doing. And for his father, I think it could be the same. Whether, mm-hmm. whether or not Dorian succeeds, he sure as hell likes to put on a show in the meantime. He does. And, and, but I also think he understands more than Ariane how big Dorne is. I mean, he even makes a reference to the fact that they couldn't take on the throne themselves. That was such an awesome part of the, the chapter. I was like, damn, mm-hmm. he's, he's, liter- he's getting as real as it gets right now. And it's kind of something that we've all been waiting to hear. And if you haven't, if you're listening and you've only watched the show and you just listen along with us because you, it's kind of like you read the chapters, but you didn't have to. This is this is payoff, I think, if you didn't like Dorne. It's almost like Dorian Martell is just saying, by the way, Dorne is, you know, they like our wine and we're really big country, but part of the legend is the legend, and we're pretty glad about that. I feel different. I think I have more of a more of a solid opinion about Quentin Martell's outside of looking at each chapter and the story itself specifically, but just the idea of this being in the book, which I think is pretty bold of us of us all as a community <laughs> to have opinions on for the record. I know. <laughs> you have to remind me. <laughs> I think I think just especially looking at these chapters back to back rather than separated by a book and learning so much about just being in the headspace of the Martells for so long, I feel like it's it's easy to understand that George R. R. Martin's story is defined by its harsh realities. Mm-hmm. Even to the good guys, the Starks, Tyrion, Jamie Brienne, in this case, even his book is not safe from that almost same harsh reality of life where every hero doesn't actually succeed in that even heroes at the highest stage, like the Prince of Dorne's son, even if it's set up really well, even if there's a letter, you know, Viserys was killed with gold and you might get there and it might not just work out. Right. You made a good point when you talked about how Dorne and how all these chapters are handled as being a great world building opportunity and i think that plays into the point you just made of 
understanding that there's lots of people who are vying for power and lots of people who are working to advance their situations, working to advance their family. And it all plays into this big game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> which, but I, I think that's really true. And I, I, I don't really know how to say this. I don't want to diminish this world that he's built. I get it. I'll bet that he, from his editors and probably just from himself, like they, they probably sweated this conceptually and it may have had a lot to do with how the books were split. I don't really know. I, I think that there's a lot of complexity in these two books that we just don't understand that people on the internet who study these and have followings because of how much they study them don't understand obviously nearly as much as George, but I don't, I don't know if they can really understand it as much as, as they'd like to, because I think that this is a really complex situation. And just, just knowing that he put after having three books as tight as they were up to this point and knowing that the payoff with Doran and Quentin was done like this and the the way Quentin's story ended up ending. And that when he was there, he didn't necessarily turn the tide too much. I know that we'll revisit it on this read through some more, but he didn't turn the tide as much as, as Catelyn and Rob did or the small John or the people that yeah. died in, in the Red Wedding or any other examples. I realize that, but I feel like wouldn't it be kind of hypocritical of George if he didn't have a character, even if he was from Dorne, maybe not succeed, even though he had everything in his favor to succeed. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like we as readers are already at a disadvantage to even have that have any of an impact on us because of how tight, like you said, books one, two, three mm -hmm. were. And now we're kind of in the badlands. And I feel like we, it, it, we're going to have to have this conversation when the books are finished because I'm really hoping and waiting for the fact that this is all going to make a lot more sense. And I, you know, I, I want to know what happens to the story that we care about. I get you it. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I, I'm not trying to discredit or dismiss any of the lessons that we're trying to learn because I think there's a lot in these chapters. But I think that just my overall frustration with these storylines is the fact that we have spent so much time and been through it with so many people that we have come to care about. And then we're asked to care about these people all of a sudden at the very tail end of that story. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for me. And I would love to be proven wrong, but I have yet to be. So We really need that next book. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> let's talk after winds of winter i guess Alrighty. so should we kind of go back before we get to that conversation and kind of help build that a little bit because i think that as we read to the beginning of this chapter we've got arianne who's up in this prison tower who's being held and she's going back and forth in her head of who kind of told on her and who told her father basically what was happening and how her plan sort of unraveled a little bit. And so she's basically driving herself crazy, kind of pacing up there. It's it's kind of interesting how George does it. Her thoughts just become a little bit more woebegone and just mm -hmm. strange. Spirals. Mm -hmm. One of the big questions that I had is how we're supposed to feel for her. And I'm just curious as, as you're reading through this, as we're kind of watching her spiral a little bit in her thoughts, and as we get more insight into what's really been going on, how you feel about her and how you think we're supposed to feel about her. If that makes sense. Whew, that is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And I don't know the answer myself. Well, I think that all we have, all we can say is how she made an impression on us. And, and George offers a pretty decent amount of supporting evidence for most ways to think. It's easy to look at the way that she was raised and the fact that she was a pawn from the beginning. I know that comes later in the chapter after you've probably been brewing up all of your thoughts and opinions about her as it goes on, as you learn more about how she thinks about people that might be dead or 
almost dead. And I do sympathize with her a little bit in this back and forth that she has about her betrayal and how she was surrounded by people that she's known since childhood, who she trusts more than anything in the world, who kind of ratted her out. And I, I mean, that's, that's a huge, that's huge. That would kill me, you know? I know. And I think that that's another big debate of, you know, who did that and who actually told. And I think we can go through every single character and make a case for it. But that's something that we just, I don't think we have a real answer for yet. And that would be rough. I'm not sure how much it matters at this point. I don't think any of it matters. (laughs) (laughs) I think it does. (laughs) Balen Swan's on his way, you know. (laughs) He's been feasted and stalled for a fortnight at every different major place. I love that the Ronwoods put him up for a fortnight before they send him on his way. I'm just thinking about what circumstance is brewing here in Dorne where another member of the Kingsguard is headed there and Princess Marcella is cut from her cheek down to her bone up through her head. She's missing her ear. Eris Okard is dead. His head was lopped off by a Norvoshi spearman. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Eris Okard. I mean, this is a situation and I feel like he's got Arian in the tower not only for herself but just for the situation. Just like, let's just take a breath and figure this out. I mean, I think that obviously she's been causing problems as he lays out the fact that he's, you know, there's a reason why he kept offering her to men she he knew she wouldn't marry and with this whole situation with Marcella. Yeah, that was cool. It was cool because I feel like, I feel like Duran in this chapter basically goes from somebody as we, somebody, we, well, as we see through Arian's eyes as, as weak or not acting in the way that anybody wants him to, to this kind of dark horse hero who's been really like plotting and scheming and figuring it out all along and really has had the situation as under control as he could with the family members that he has to deal with. Yeah, um, the sand snakes over, yeah. over in Martell. <laughs> well, no, so isn't that kind of interesting though, how we kind of go into this chapter or we go into the whole Dorn storyline and we think that the sand snakes are the big threat and that that's going to be like the big Dorn push. And then we get to the last chapter where we think that's going to be this crowning Marcella thing and that's going to be the thing but here we finally get to the reveal which is that we get this you know support for the Targaryen cause and that Arianne was going to be married off to Viserys I don't know what that means and I don't know if that's going to be play into if Arianne's then going to have another role with the whole Aegon thing or whatever there's definitely a possibility there Depending on where they go from the end of A Dance of Dragons, which I, I feel like that's that's what's in the books. And I think it may, I don't know, please you at the throne of books. Do you have <laughs> do you have your story perfectly packaged? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it may. You might like it. It might. That's what I'm saying. It's like, that's what I keep saying. You know, I'll hold out for it. I really like this chapter, though. I know that it felt a lot different than than most of the story. She started out thinking of Eris Okart, and I think that's where you you asked how I felt about Arianne, and obviously, in our last episode, we talked about the way that she treated him, the way that she was utilizing her strengths to get what she wanted through him and through other people, and that's what everyone's doing in this game. Just because it's her sexuality does not make it any worse than someone else using a sword to kill people, if anything. It's nonviolent. So can we get an amen on that, honestly? Mm-hmm. Like, can we get over that shit for one time? It's just... For real. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. It was interesting to me, and maybe this is just me not reading the text correctly enough, or but how much she cries over his 
sacrifice and how much she's like dreaming of him. You know what I mean? You didn't think that he mattered to her. I mean, I think that that's always been part of the debate and the discussion that we've had. And people who are listening may know even better than I do what I said about all that <laughs> when we were going through those chapters. But I am just surprised. And I, and I never, I guess we just didn't really know her true motive with him, you know? And I think that obviously he was a means to an end, but that doesn't mean, I don't know what that means in, in context of how she feels about him now. And, and I think that the guilt that she feels for what happened because she never wanted to harm Marcella. She never wanted things to play out the way that they did. And so it was just interesting for me to see that the thing that in my mind, she kind of grasps onto aside from the betrayal of her friends is, is Eris and his sacrifice and, and who he was. That makes sense. Also people like Ariane who do use people like she does. I feel like the means to an end is, is her normalized state of being. So we can assume that she does have connections with people inside of that. And I think that even though it feels like she was so beautiful and it took her five months, six months, half a year to convince Eris to sleep with her or to, to charm him into the bed. You got to think that, you know, what else is she doing with her time? Like, this is the person that she's thinking about romantically, even if it's for other purposes. Like she, she cared about this guy, you know, maybe she didn't even want to say it to herself. Maybe she wanted always to keep him at arm's distance, but in some way, maybe not in a conventional way that, you know, people write about, she had feelings for him, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was tough to see it happen this way. Yeah. That was just something that I hadn't really put together. I don't think before that. Well, it's easy to look over someone's cold offense and say, well, because of that strength, there must not be something in there that's soft. But in her case, I think it's pretty clear that it is. And the more that she's in the tower, we see her, you know, thinking about things from the past and thinking about her friends, especially in that sequence, the, the someone told sequence, mm -hmm. it lasted three or four paragraphs. It was a, a nice chunk in the middle of the chapter. It was really cool. It was. And she talks about how she, she's always been close. She talks about being close to her cousins and her brothers and, but, you know, these, this crew of hers, I mean, these, this was her, this was her squad, you know, these are her people, like, this was her family. And I think that, I mean, that's just, you, you see a lot into why she's reacting the way that she is. And plus, she's being put in a situation exactly, um, there's some moment when she's talking about how, of course, her father would put her in this situation instead of, um, coming up to, to speak with her. He's just going to let her be alone and she's in the dark. And that's, what's going to drive her insane. Like her with her thoughts and the silence is enough to make her this as enough of a punishment. Um, I think that says a lot about her. Yeah. And there's a moment that she's, she says it so much like Duran Martel that she had to laugh, which I think is, is good. And we get a lot of insight into her. We get a lot of insight into their relationship even before they meet. And, you know, again, my feelings about the storyline don't, don't diminish the fact that this is a very well-written chapter and, and we, we cover a lot of ground from a very, um, personal perspective, um, in a very short amount of time with these characters. Mm -hmm. So she tries to escape 
but that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that was a, well. Attempt number one was she tried to command them. It's, she just remembered. Let's call it a few weeks into it. She was like, "Oh yeah, I can command them." And she goes, "I command you to take me to the prince. Mm-hmm. I am ready to see the prince now." And they're like, Ugh. "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, she hides right beside the door when they they open it, and she sprints right through it, knocks over a platter of food, and of course they they apprehend her. And take her back. And then she looks to the youngest and most impressionable Cedra or Kedra of her helpers that are amongst the ones allowed in her chambers, obviously not to speak to her. And she begins this days long process using Darren, someone that she had previously had relations with and was apparently in love with as a reason to talk. I love it. It's perfect. Magically done. Yeah. I feel like that is so perfect. I feel like that's like the ultimate. But then even that doesn't. I mean, so she asked Cedra to, or Kedra, or we're going to say it, Cedra, Cedric, whatever, to deliver a letter for her. And this was after she went down a long list. She's by herself. She's thinking. She went down this long list of the people she could reach out to. She has a cataloged repository of all of the people that she could use at any time for specific means. She's doing a good job. She's definitely... I think for the person that's going to inherit the seat of Dorne, she knows what she's doing other than this major fiasco right. with, with would, Marcella. Actually, I take back on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not go that far. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, you know what? I, I shouldn't be impressed by it, honestly. And this is something that Duran makes this eventually the point that like Arian knows enough about the game to play, yes. but not to win. Yes. So, I mean, oh, to your gosh. point there, like she, she knows enough. I mean, she's not stupid. That's for sure. Man, coming in with that. Also, just quick sidebar, some more stage advice from the Martels. This is from Oberyn. He gave to his daughters. If you would wed, wed the wed viper. Uh, the wed. The red viper had told his own daughters. <laughs> if not, take your pleasure where you find it. There's little enough of it in this world. Choose well, though. If you saddle yourself with a fool or a brute, don't look to me to rid you of him. I gave you the tools to do that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Swag. <laughs> Swag. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Warby Parker. A new concept in eyewear, contemporary eyeglasses that are extremely affordable and fashion forward. Glasses should be viewed as a fashion accessory, but they should not cost as much as a plane ticket or a new iPhone. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. And for every pair you buy, a pair is distributed to someone in need. Warby Parker makes buying glasses online easy and risk-free. What? Yes. Our home try-on program allows you to order five pairs of glasses shipped directly to your door, where you can try them on in the comfort of your own home and get feedback from friends, family, colleagues, the mailman, everyone's opinion who you care about. You can try on the frames for five days before sending them back using a free prepaid return shipping label with no obligation to purchase. It's 100% free and it's so easy a dog do it. And I got to say, if you guys are ordering glasses online, it's tough to make the decision without seeing and, and feeling them. But I know that when I used Warby Parker, having five sent to me at the same time made deciding on which pair of frames I actually wanted a whole lot easier. So head to warbyparker.com slash owns to order your free home try-ons today. You can choose the five frames you'd like to try on, mail the frames back, choose your favorite pairs to have your prescription added to and order. Warby Parker makes your experience completely risk-free and free shipping all around. So visit warbyparker.com slash O-W-N-S to begin your free home try-on experience today. 
After you head to warbyparker.com slash owns and place your home try-on order, make sure to download the Warby Parker app from the iTunes App Store. They built this awesome home try-on companion feature, which allows you to quickly take photos wearing all the frames, stitch it into a video, and share it with friends and family to help you pick a winner. Visit warbyparker.com slash owns to begin your free home try-on experience today. Today's episode is brought to you by Adam and Eve. Are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual we can't mention it on the podcast. And to top it all off, they will even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, they're not kidding. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type GAME for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code GAME at adamandeve.com. That's G-A-M-E at adamandeve.com. A huge part of eating healthy is just finding time to do it, taking the time to plan your meals, trek to the farmer's market, figure out portions. It all adds up. And if you're like me and don't have all that time, you'll love Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers delicious, healthy recipes and fresh ingredients straight to your door. Get dinner on the table in 30 minutes. It's healthy cooking made easy. You'll get organic, non-GMO ingredients from the best farms and fishermen. Everything is seasonal and sustainably sourced. Sunbasket offers paleo, gluten-free, vegetarian, breakfast and family options created by an award-winning chef and approved by nutritionists. Each meal comes with pre-measured, fresh ingredients and easy-to-follow directions. And it's delicious. It's time in the kitchen well spent. So go to sunbasket.com slash owns today and get your first three meals free. That's sunbasket.com slash O-W-N-S to get three healthy, easy to prepare meals free. That's sunbasket.com slash owns. She finally decides who she's going to send the letter to, Lord Fowler. And she spends days and days, because she has days and days, to compose it and to say the right thing and to make sure that her case is pleaded for in the right way. And she gives it to Cedra, who doesn't return. She doesn't come back. So um, never hears from her. Bummer. And so she basically gives up. And this is like her last attempt, really. And she just she stops eating. She only sleeps. And she finally wakes up one day. And she's finally, finally, finally being summoned to see her father. There's two Sybass tables. In, in this chapter and it made sense because Dorian finally was like by the way I had them put a side vest table in your chapter I wanted you to learn how to play with side vest no I meant to say chapter oh. <laughs> okay I put it <laughs> I put it twice also Dorian comes in with if if Gerald if he heard this if he heard the prince of Doran say this literally his entire existence would have been for a reason. Doran says this in their meeting, not soon after she enters. Darkstar is the most dangerous man in Dorne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Gerald is the most dangerous man in Dorne. <laughs> yeah. You'd be so stoked to hear that. <laughs> he would be. <laughs> His entire existence. I thought that she was going to be a little bit nicer in this conversation. You I didn't know did? she was going to come in so hot. Yeah, I did. I mean, but think about it. She's been worked up 
worked up. She's been working herself up for what a fortnight longer than a fortnight about everything that's been going on. And I feel like, I feel like this just gets to the root of the problem is the fact yeah. that the two of them, if they had just had a conversation or if they communicate correctly, then none of this would have happened. Yeah. Like if they would just be honest with the, with each other, like when he asked about Eris Okart and she says, I fucked him father. You did command me to entertain our noble visitors as I recall. And he flushes and asks, was that all that was required? And she says, I told him once that Marcella was the queen. She would give us leave to marry. He wanted me for his wife. And he comes back with, you did everything you could to stop him from disarming his vows. I am certain. So, I mean, that's the most blowback blowback that she got for sleeping with a knight of the Kingsguard that was sent from the capital. Right. She she does have a pretty good read on her dad. Does she? I mean, she she knows exactly how far to push him and to for him to reveal the whole story to her after she just pulled this stunt. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I feel like she was going to eventually have to know anyway. And so I feel like that this isn't necessarily... You're probably right. This isn't necessarily her getting it for herself, but this is one of those things where it's like, well, I have no other option than to finally fill you in on why this has been going on the way that it's been going on. That's just how I come into... That's the realest way to look at it. That's probably, yeah. Yeah, because I'm real as heck. Mm-hmm. It's what I've already said. It just, I just feel like this whole time, through this whole back and forth, I'm just like, if you had had a conversation, if you had been open and honest with each other, which I understand may have not necessarily worked, especially as Duran kind of goes through all the different men that she wouldn't want to marry and um, the reason why she was offered to these people because he knew that she wouldn't accept and she knew, he knew that she would hate it. And that was the whole point because he needed to try and he needed to do something, um, in order to kind of throw suspicion off, um, about what he's really trying to accomplish. I don't know how to better handle that situation, but it's just, it's, it's interesting to see, it's interesting to see so much of their dynamic packed into, you know, a lifetime of this packed into this, this conversation here. And so you're, you're worried that it was all for Quentin, which was all for, you know, roast. I don't know if it was all for Quentin. And, and I don't want to say that Ariane's role isn't that, that there's not going to be a role for this storyline in the winds of winter and beyond. I just, I just want to see it matter. And I, and I guess it's one of those things where I just need to like not jump the gun because I'm sure I could have said that about other things in the very beginning of the story. I just want to have to read all this, <laughs> to put it plainly, <laughs> for it to matter. I mean, you know what I mean? When, when instead we could yeah, you're be... You're not the only one that feels that way. Yeah, you know, instead we could be with characters that I really, really care about, like Sansa and Arya and John and, you know, all this, all of these other characters and, and even Cersei and King's Landing and to me what the root of the story is and i think that maybe that's what george r R. martin wants me to feel and i'd like to be proven wrong but so you know we get to this um line at the end of this chapter about vengeance justice and fire and blood which is awesome and i hope that some impact is made i mean i know that you disagree with me but like not really i was gonna say like on what level do you disagree with me and like what are i what are your like your read on this and what do you I mean, what do you think? I feel like I've been kind of being so anti all of this this whole time. <laughs> I think that there's merit on both sides. I, I'm always, I always shy from questioning, um, an artist as skilled as George's work, even though I know that art asks to be questioned. It's two sides of a coin. I just feel like I trust what he's been doing with the story so far. And there's two books left, you know? And I think Arianne's character is fascinating. 
I love, I, I mean, she's, she's very consistent and mm-hmm. she's very well written and same could be said for all the Martells. And I had a lot of fun with the merchants man as well. I really liked the dynamic of these guys and I know it feels kind of out of place, but George's world is really big. It doesn't all have to be Winterfell. I'm but cool with it. Like leave. I, <laughs> I want pirate chapters too. You know, I'm much more. I just, I much more enjoy the Ironborn, and I haven't really quite placed why because I've been thinking about that a lot recently, actually, on why I care so much more about the Greyjoy storyline versus the Dorne storyline, and it's probably because we spent a little bit more time with them. So I don't know because I think that some people have the same ish thoughts about that hmm. i don't know i don't know why that is there's no real rhyme or reason to it yet before we transition to talk about the merchant's man i wanted to read this this thought from it was a line from doran martell who doesn't get a lot of moments in the sun but i really think that the end of this chapter was pretty badass he says this is his response to arian asking why he would offer her to walter frey oh, man. which is a pretty good question <laughs> 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 he says, because I knew that you would spurn him, I had to be seen to try to find a consort for you once you'd reached a certain age, else it would have raised suspicions. But I dared not bring you any man you might accept. I just read the wrong quote, so hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's just leave that. All right. Here's the real quote. It was important to know that, though. I mean, so Quinn, oh, anyway, I mean, he does tell her in that line that she was promised. That's pretty mm-hmm. dramatic. The princess you were that was promised. Arianne. That's funny. Here's the real quote. You mistake my patience for forbearance. I have worked at the downfall of Tywin Lannister since the day they told me of Elia and her children. It was my hope to strip him of all that he held most dear before I killed him, but it would seem the dwarf son has robbed me of that pleasure. Man, that is mm-hmm. good. The long game. I mean, I respect that. And now for Quentin Martell. Adventure stank. <laughs> she boasted 60 oars, a single sail, and a long lean hull that promised speed. Small, but she might serve, Quentin thought, when he saw her. But that was before he went aboard and got a good whiff of her. Pigs was his first thought. But after a second sniff, he changed his mind. Pigs had a cleaner smell. This stink was piss and rotting meat and night soil. This was the reek of corpse flesh and weeping sores and wounds gone bad, so strong that it overwhelmed the salt air and fish smell of the harbor. <laughs> Welcome to Valentis, ladies and the, gentlemen. The, 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 uh, yeah, eventually yes. the worst. <laughs> The wet, warm hug from the tip of the Rhoyne to the Great Sea. (laughs) This chapter is pretty short. And it's really just like this little vignette of them walking around Volantis. They've been trying to get a ship there for 20 days. (laughs) Quentin, you're not going to make it in Marine. No one will take them. The stakes are too high. (laughs) Barristan Selmy is her best friend. I know. And he's just like... Gosh, he's trying so hard. High, he's man. trying so hard. He's trying so hard, and the whole time he's like, "Is Danny even gonna like me? Twenty Does he even days. Think about me." <laughs> wow. I mean, I get it. It's they're trying to book passage in the Marine, so it's not all on them. It's tough for them right now. They weren't able to have a ship built for them or to purchase a ship in Planky Town. They couldn't risk setting off. Varys's Watchmen. Can you believe that Varys has that much power to impact the storyline with just the flick of his finger passively? Yes. At this Jeez. point, yes. I thought that was pretty cool. So don't hold too much against them, guys. They've been there for 20 days, spinning their just tires in nothing. I get it. A couple of their friends have died, and it's really sad. That's how the chapter eventually opens up. And if you're a new reader of the story, if you've read it before... 
you know, that perspective and those chunks of history and knowing what kind of relationship that that he had with these people, they're important bits to pick up, but they might just become cannon fodder in mm-hmm. your head because it's tough for them to get this far and to have so many more trials ahead of them. And for this chapter to be literally rooted in the trial that they're having, the point that Quentin is on a long and arduous journey definitely came through. Mm-hmm. Well, and not only he also has just the entire weight of his family and Dorn on his head, basically. Um, there's a point where he, he points out how uh, his father warned him that Dorn will bleed if your purpose is discovered. What we do is treason, make no mistake. And so this is no small thing that they're attempting. And so the fact that they're here and adventure stinks in every sense of the word in this chapter because he's got a ways to go like we're saying the ship the concept the plan like i said earlier at some points he's like of course this is gonna work he's dreaming of her she will want dorn and then later on the chapter he's he's thinking quentin had no idea what daenerys targaryen might like he had promised his father that he would bring her back to dorn but more and more he wondered if he was equal to the task i never asked for this he thought I feel like that first sentence, Quentin had no idea what Daenerys Targaryen might like. It, this could be an innocent crush, but oh, the implications so are so big. <laughs> it sounds so high school. Man. So Men and women, you know? I just like, you know, I know I've been harping on this for the last hour, but unless Quentin is alive, then what? You know what I mean? You just sparked so many at replies right now. Quentin... <laughs> No, it's good. Tell us if you think Quentin is alive. We want to know. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I want this to be a conversation because I, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, and everybody reads this a little bit differently, and everybody has a different opinion. And so, I think it's worth correct it. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, not only is this chapter anyway a little bit of just kind of like strolling around Volantis, which is cool in and of itself. Oh yeah, it's really cool. The elephants, the triarch, the one of three triarchs that serves his year term who can't step foot on ground. Yeah, that is kind of cool. <laughs> for the entire year. So he rides an elephant everywhere he goes while the small folk clean up all the massive piles of shit that they leave in their Imagine wake. your feet not touching the ground for one whole year. <sighs> that would be that would definitely be different. I just love that we've been to Valanis before, but we learned a different Valanis. We learned of Valanis with Quentin Martell at the mm-hmm. head. He's not the cute friend of his friends, but he's not doing so bad. And mm-hmm. they've got gold in their pocket and they're sick of the weather. And like I said, they like it there, but they don't like it there. They like the food, but it's too sweet. It's just a little bit not right. But mm-hmm. yet they like it so much that they're spending time there. And they heard at this local inn that this guy down at the dock with the ship named Adventure, just find the ship that smells the absolute worst. And the guy who looks most like a pirate that you can't trust, he's your last hope if you're looking for patches, passage to Marine. What is it? They're worried that he's going to try to enslave them or something. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same. It's not like some nice Airbnb. Oh, my gosh. And when they were talking about whether or not they could buy their own ship. He was like, we can't sail it. Also, those the Corsairs to think about. And Quentin's like, ah, oh, I hate Corsairs. And they're like, yeah, just pirate ships of, of borders that, you know, kill people that they cared about. Yeah, just pirates. And, and Quentin muses in this chapter, he's like, this is all a game to me, right? He's like, I got at some point I have to realize this is not a game. I grew up, you know, highborn and people are dying and we're still just kind of, you know, blindly i don't know 
There's a lot of conflict here. And hopefully it matters. <laughs> <laughs> so awful. Something that was really cool in this chapter that you definitely aren't going to pick up on your first reread or your first read, not your first reread, is that you notice Penny and company mm-hmm. in this chapter, yeah. which I thought was pretty cool. That was um, cool. I liked that little nod that I wouldn't have ever picked up on my first read through. Also the nod to ox carts, which I thought was a bit too soon, as in it hasn't happened yet. But if you remember, ox carts are what Quentin's using to try to move the dragons out mm-hmm. of the pit and marine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, George, did you have to <laughs> write a whole paragraph about ox carts? Because it was because the ox cart was written. It was written in Valentine local tongue, and he went to say, George went to say, "Oh, it looks like an ox cart, but it's actually this." And I'm like, "Ugh, that's." That's dirty. Too soon, but not yet, like you just said. Mm-hmm. Building in those recurring themes. It's like when Quentin sees it, and it's one of the last things he ever sees, he'll think about that moment when he was in Vol- Volantis, those 20 beautiful days, unperturbed by responsibility. Except for the responsibility to get <laughs> get to Marine. So what do you make of their debacle? I know that we could go into the ins and outs of the conversation, but basically what went down with the pirate was he was like, listen, no one's going to Marine because the fighting pits are closed. What's the point? Because the slaves aren't being sold anymore. What's the point? You know, if it's wine that you're selling, fine, but chances are the three of you don't really have enough wine for us to make this, you know, make sense. What's what's the point? And they're like, here's the point. Triple the money. And they thought after, which I thought, Again, was one of the, the most fun parts about this chapter that separated it so much. It just, it felt like a different book almost. Right after this conversation, they were just talking amongst themselves and they were making jokes about basically what this guy was going to do to them once they paid him this money and agreed to go. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because they were, you know, this is their best hope. And they were just casually with just ha 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 vigor, accepting this cruel and terrible task that they're being (laughs) that they're on you know like they it's not going the people have died already Mm -hmm. it's not that glamorous and the weight's already been there and and he goes into how anxious he's he is not to not to let that happen again so as far as the strip to marine is concerned the big question is do we go over water that hasn't worked out so well for us or do we go over land those awesome valyrian high roads that you guys learned about in the beginning of a feast of dragons they're very convenient because guess what? Volantis used to be a mere outpost of Valyria and it has road systems. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the place is so haunted by terrible people that it is now named the Demon Road. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't go that it's, way. It's subtle. You can't go that way. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, so that leaves them with no choice really then adventure they're like at the end of the chapter they're like basically in front of like this marketplace right and there's like windblown dudes staying at the same hotel as their boys that they're waiting for right and they were like join the windblown you fucking pussies or whatever <laughs> you know and they're like we don't want to join the windblown <laughs> and then they go inside and then his friend's like i got an idea and that's where the chapter cuts off we should uh you should do a, a dramatic retelling of <laughs> <laughs> these chapters <laughs> It'd be really funny. (laughs) (laughs) So it happened. Anyway, can we talk about this 200 foot high wall that's just in the city made by the Valyrians? Across the wide blue expanse of the Rhoyne, he could see the black wall that had been raised and it's black wall proper. So that's the name of it. That's pretty cool. 
that it had been raised by the Valyrians when Valantis was no more than an outpost of their empire, a great oval of fused stone 200 feet high and so thick that six four-horse chariots could race around its top abreast, as they did each year to celebrate the founding of the city. Outlanders, foreigners, and freedmen were not allowed inside the Black Wall, save at the invitation of those who dwelt within, scions of the old blood who could trace their ancestry back to Valyria itself. I mean... If we had the chapter for passages like this, I'd be okay with it. Yeah, I know, right? That's cool. It's like what we're talking about, just kind of the scope of all this. You talk about festivals that are happening and people that live inside these walls, and that's a whole nother series. You know what I mean? HBO knows what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, now that we know that all of our guesses from last episode were wrong. (laughs) That's true. That's a whole, yeah. Okay, so another spinoff idea, the windblown. Mm-hmm. All right, check it. I'm going to just, this is, I'm going to use the same pitch that the windblown use on Quentin and his friends. This is the pitch for the windblown, which is a group of mercenaries. I don't know if you've heard of them. You probably should have by now. And if you haven't, they might be the next spinoff series. We'll see. This is the pitch. Master? Question mark. Fuck that. Are you a slave? Come with us and be your own master. Do you want to die a bed? We'll teach you sword and spear. You'll ride a battle with the tattered prince and come home richer than a lord. Boys, girls, gold, whatever you want. If you're man enough to take it, we're the windblown and we fuck the goddess slaughter up our arse. <laughs> <laughs> and then they so just start me. singing. I know, I was going to say. And then it's the, <laughs> it's the singing after that's like... <laughs> gets me yeah so they go upstairs they go over the terrible circumstances with their friends that they're in and uh one of them speaks up and says by the way i have an idea and quinn's like tell me and we're meant to wait until the next chapter so we'll we'll stop there we're so supposed we'll to wait see what happens without any ado my own for this chapter is the windblown pitch especially, it's ridiculous especially the way you, you said it thank you i was into it <laughs> I really, my own for the chapter is going to be for something that we already talked about, but the, the thing that I thought was so cool, the triarchs that their feet don't touch the ground for one whole year while they're in service. I think that's pretty cool. So my own goes to that. Could you imagine the slaying that my feet don't touch the ground? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and I'd like to give my own for the princess in the tower, probably the dark star for his reputation (laughs) that he's somehow, you know, Mm-hmm. Even a small man can cast a very large shadow. Power is, you know. Mm. Nice little plug for a. You like that? <laughs> no, that's good. A little nod to, to Army and Gerald. Thank um, you, Gerald. My own is going to be for this moment when Ariane, she uh, dumps a flagon of wine on Timoth's head because he isn't responding to her. And so she's frustrated, so she dumps her wine on him. I think that's pretty funny. He left abashed. Loved it. Before we transition to the end of things, it's time to read your owns. And the first is from at Spivy116. My own for the princess chapter goes to Sir Boris Blount, who gets to party like King Robert all through Dorne, not knowing why. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in Merchant's Man, own to adventure versus thinking bad enough to make a prince want to be a sellsword. Hashtag tattered mud. And finally, Heathen King, own to this line, we princes make our careful plans and the gods smash them all awry. The story of Dornish plans going to shit. And we've got an email from Travis who says, own to Darkstar for evading capture and vanishing into the deep desert with blood upon his blade. That sounds so swaggy. He will return. And I'm sure he will paint the world red once more with his sword <laughs> of the hashtag warning. <laughs> 
Uh, and then own to Prince Duran Martel and his Sybas table, turning an onyx elephant in his hand and then handing Ariane a black dragon. The imagery and symbolism by George is second to none. Ouch. That was a good, so that was cool. a good pickup. And for the merchant's man, own to Quentin's dreams of adventure and love, of heroes and knights, maidens and queens, dragons and pirates. It stinks sometimes and you don't always make the journey you expect. Sometimes the girl marries a different boy and you get eaten by a beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Travis just did it. I think he just said all that I tried to say yeah. the whole episode. I think so too. <laughs> Same. If you'd like to send in your owns for the podcast, you can do so by hopefully reading or at least looking and figuring out what our next pair of chapters are. You can head over to afeastwithdragons.com where you can see all of our chapters lined out. And next time we've got Danny four and Brian five powerhouse girl teams. Girl squad. We just watched episode three, four. We watched the throne of season two and it's where Daenerys or not Daenerys, but uh, Brienne gets her, mm-hmm. gets her introduction moment. And it's, it's just so like, good. Oh. it's like, Oh, come on, Brienne coming in there, destroying Loras. Anyway, if you want to watch or listen to rewatch the throne, it's kind of confusing. You can watch game of Thrones and, and listen to Rewatch the Throne or just listen to Rewatch the Throne. We're going through the series again and it's been a lot of fun. It's been awesome. You can find Rewatch the Throne at rewatchthethrone.com. And if you want, you can also join us in Nashville in just a couple weeks. It is coming up unbelievably fast. We're going to be in Nashville at the end of June for Con of Thrones, which I feel like is all we talk about or maybe it's because all we think it's all we think about but we've released a schedule just this week and so all the programming is live if you want to check out what some of the panels are going to be some of the different discussions that we're going to have it's going to be it's it's cool to finally have that out into the world i know and i'm so proud of the team and everybody just a part of the entire process we've still got a lot to do but now that the program's out and everyone can click through on their iphone or on the website that's pretty cool. It's a labor of love. We're so proud. Yeah, we're so proud. And we hope that you guys enjoy it. So even if you're not going to the convention, you should go to conathrones.com slash schedule or search for Con of Thrones in your phone's app store and just look at the stuff that we've all put together and what everyone's doing and the different sorts of people that are going to be presenting on fun topics. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say more later. We've got so much more to, to talk about. But uh, Con of Thrones, it's coming up so fast. Mm-hmm. So go check it out and thank you everyone for listening to game of owns we hope that you enjoyed our episode last week with david peterson i know that we had a blast and we wanted to get back to a feast of dragons so here we are so here we are no it's good to be back in the books as we kind of head into into the season and as we're prepping for the con it's nice to be where it all started for us so thanks for listening everyone say hi don't be strangers <laughs> Goodbye.